so glad that you're here. If you're new with us the first time this morning, man, we are just honored to have you in this place. It's a great day to be here. Um, I know some of our church family is traveling on spring break, and if you're watching through the camera lens from the sunny side of Florida or someplace sunny, man, I love you guys. I'm not jealous at all, but enjoy the beach. Um, but no, so glad you guys are here. We are going to launch into a new series to the book of Galatians that I have entitled Unshackled. And I love the book of Galatians because it really is this book of Paul writes to the church in Galatia and says, man, you guys can't be bound to these things that you think earn your salvation. You're not bound to the law. You're not bound to any of this anymore because Christ has set you free. And if we as the church could really get that, I promise you it would change everything. If we were no longer bound to these things of trying to work our way to God, of trying to earn our salvation, of trying to do these things to earn the favor of God, because really all it does is create bondage. I've lived it. I've done it. I was, remember when I was in high school and younger, I used to love looking for antlers. I actually bought my wife's wedding ring by selling antlers that I had sold. You want to talk about a labor of love? That's hundreds of miles that I sold to buy her a diamond. But I used to do that all the time, and one of the things that often ran through my head, and I love hunting too, and I was, I mean, you guys may relate, whatever your hobby is, but I'd be like, man, God, I have been serving you faithfully. I've been doing all these things. You should really reward me with something like a big elk shed or a big elk in archery season or whatever it may be. And as silly as it sounds, we do that with things in our life because we think the things that we're doing for God somehow earn his favor and somehow earn that we should get something from him. And Paul's just saying in Galatians pretty much, hey guys, like Christ has set you completely free if you would learn to live in that and not be bound by the law, not be striving after circumcision. I promise you, Jesus would show you something amazing. And that's my hope for us as a church as we walk through this series that we would really see what it is to live an unshackled life. Because that's why Jesus has come. So with that, I just want to say this. If you weren't here last week, we went over our values. We put a magnet on some of these chairs. If you did not get a magnet, these are who we want to not only be as a church, but as a Christian. So the amazing thing is, I don't know if it'll stick, but uh, it won't stick there. But you can put it on your refrigerator and just re just. Let this soak in that this is who we want to be as Christians. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you're going to do in this room. God, and I don't know the story of each person in this place, but I know one thing, that you see them all. And God, I think someone probably walked in this room this morning feeling completely unseen by you, maybe neglected, maybe uncared for. And I pray by the tenderness of your spirit this morning that you would show them in a very real and tangible way that you see them, that you love them, and that you're pursuing them, and that your heart is that they would live unshackled. For it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. See to it that we're no longer bound by the yoke of slavery. So God, do a deep work in this place. One thing I love about you, God, is that you pursue us in our pain and in our struggle and in our joy, in our victories and our triumphs but also in our moments of deepest pain. So God, just speak to someone this morning that you see them, that you love them, and that you're pursuing them. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So Galatia was originally really in this North Asia Minor region, which is modern-day Turkey. Paul wrote this book in about A.D. 48, 
Most people agree that he probably wrote it during his first missionary journey, which we can see in Acts 13 through chapter 14. Um, and really, here's the background, is the church in Galatia was really in this crisis because the gospel had advanced with extreme power as Paul was proclaiming Jesus risen from the grave for the atonement of sin. But, like anything, false teachers started to creep in and tried to counter this gospel by saying, well, that's great that Jesus has come, but you also have to hold to the law. Hey, Galatia, we are trying to really get this form of Judaism in here to hold you to the law, to really bind you was all it was doing. And Paul is saying this is a major deal. This is a major crisis. Why? Because it's a false gospel. It's denying the very heart of the gospel, the very reason that Jesus has come to set you free. I find it very interesting that Paul intervenes and is more critical to his audience in this book than any other letter he penned. The reason I think it is is because the gospel equals freedom, religion equals bondage. To have a morphed view of the gospel is to have a morphed view of God himself. And if all these false teachers are coming into Galatia and saying, hey guys, Christ is one thing, but you got to hold to circumcision if you want the favor of God and if you want salvation. And Paul's saying, uh-uh, no way. I'm going to counter this because that is a lie from Satan himself. It's through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you are saved. You cannot earn it on your own merit. You cannot earn it by doing anything and holding to the law. Christ has come to set you free. And we battle the same thing today. The same exact thing. Did you know that religious people hate gospel heralds? It's been the same since the beginning of time. Anyone that's like, it's Jesus plus... It's Jesus and your works. Well, the works are great. They're a result of our salvation. We're not saved by works. And so Paul's really doing the same thing, saying, hey, all these false teachers that are telling you it's Jesus and, I'm just telling you it's just Jesus. It's just his grace. It's just his mercy. And if you get bogged into this thing of you think you have to do all these things to earn the favor of God, you've missed the entire point. And that's the reason Paul was more critical of this audience than any of his other letters. Because like I said, a morphed gospel equals a morphed view of God. So really, the theme of Galatians is this, is as a believer, we don't have to follow the law nor its ceremonies. To require these things is really to deny the heart of the gospel. Justification is by faith alone, through Christ alone, not obedience to the law. See, Christ's atoning work brought in the age of the new covenant. So it's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus. It's not Jesus and works, it's Jesus. Jesus and works, all it does is create this idea of bondage. And Paul wanted to ensure his audience that he desires, that Jesus desires his bride, the church, to live unshackled not bound by the law, not bound by works, not bound by all these things that we think we can earn the merit and the favor of God, but really that Christ has come to set us free. If you doubt me, Paul says this in Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. 
It's the whole message of Galatians. That's the whole message of the gospel that God doesn't want us living in bondage. He wants us to live this unshackled life in the freedom that he has come to offer. See, religious people usually default to works for salvation, and Paul just says, oh, that's just bondage. It's nothing other than bondage. Your works of earning the favor and merit of God, forgiven people should default to grace, where Paul says it equals freedom. Why do you think the first thing on our values is a people of grace? Because the entire gospel is based upon it. We give others that which we have received from Christ ourselves. That's why. The whole message of the gospel is based upon something that we did not earn. But still today, the poll is the same. Earn our salvation and not accept it. Do these things to earn the favor of God and maybe he'll love you more. If you're in this place this morning and you have ever been in a place or maybe you're there today or maybe some Christian has told you that you have to earn the favor or the merit of God and it's all dependent upon you being good enough and you being righteous enough and you not making a mistake, I'm telling you it's a lie. You cannot earn the favor and the love of God. All you have to do is accept it. And this was the same lie that Paul was combating in this letter and the same lie that we're combating today. So here's the question as we get ready to launch in. Do you feel worn down? Do you feel like you're trying to measure up this morning? Maybe you're trying to earn the approval of God. Maybe you're thinking you're good enough just because you're a good person, and because you're good enough, he'll love you more. Maybe you're trying to do things for God and still feeling like, man, there's got to be more than this. I'm just worn down. I'm just tired. I can't do enough. Maybe you're wanting peace and you can't find it. Maybe you're living for the weekends. Maybe you're feeling chained down. I don't know where you're at in this place this morning, but I want you to hear this as we launch in. This is not God's design. His design for you and me is that we would live this unshackled life for it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Period. Done. That's all it is. It's for freedom. That doesn't mean that this freedom is a license to sin by any means. But he wants us to live this unshackled life because that is why God sent his son Jesus. Here we go. Galatians 1, 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you're like me, you've probably grown up thinking Paul was just this amazing public figure who the world was just deeply attracted to. <laughs> Couldn't be any further from the truth. Did you know that in Greek, Paul actually means small, little, or humble? In fact, from early writings that people have recorded historically, Paul was not someone who was seen as actually attractive at all. He was not a man that demanded respect just by his stature and his nature. In fact, we can see this in an early writing 
called the Acts of Thecla. Thecla was a woman who had heard Paul preach in Iconium, and she had been radically transformed by the gospel that he proclaimed and became this zealous convert, this zealous warrior for Christ. And she records this in one of the only few books that we ever see recorded about the stature and who Paul was physically. She says this, and I quote, A man of a low stature, a bald on the head, crooked thighs, handsome legs, not really sure how that works, actually, crooked thighs and handsome legs, but whatever, hollow-eyed, and had a crooked nose, full of grace, for sometimes he appeared as a man, and sometimes he had the countenance of an angel. This is a historically recorded document of who this woman saw Paul as. Paul in Scripture even refers to his physical shortcomings, 2 Corinthians 10.10, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. How about 2 Corinthians 11.5? Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Paul is saying there's a whole lot more qualified people than me to be preaching this gospel, and there's a whole lot more people that don't have crooked thighs and handsome legs. They have it. I don't. I have a crooked nose, and I have a bald head, and I'm actually pretty short. See, the world wasn't necessarily attracted to Paul, but that's exactly why here he says, not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ of God the Father, because he was called by God himself. See, many were saying of Paul that he shouldn't be an apostle because he didn't walk with Jesus. Many said that based on an attempt to belittle him, that he was not part of the original 12. And you know what Paul says? <laughs> He's like, you're right, I wasn't, but I met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus, and you can't deny that. See, he was even known as a savage persecutor of the church. So it's no wonder that some of these religious people were like, man, Paul, you can have nothing to do with this gospel thing. You didn't walk with Jesus. And in fact, you're actually... You just don't look very good. People really aren't attracted to you. And Paul makes sure that we know in his letter that he's right. But guess what? God doesn't look for the strong and the burly and the manly. He looks for the humble, the surrendered, and the weak. Because then God can display his strength. God can display his power. And God can do the things that he has called people to do. See, Religious people can't stand gospel heralds. God doesn't look for the put together. He doesn't look for the strong. He doesn't look for the gifted. He doesn't look for the talented. He doesn't look for the beautiful. He doesn't look for the handsome. He looks for the weak, the humble, the willing, and the surrendered. Are you one of them? I don't want to hear any excuses of, well, I'm not this, I'm not 6'2", and I don't have this stature of a man, or whatever whatever goes through your mind as a woman, I don't know, but all I want you to know is this. God does not look at your appearance. He does not look at your figure. Each person in this room was beautifully crafted by the God of heaven himself, beautifully put together for the purpose of bringing him glory. And he doesn't look as the world looks. He looks as he looks, and he looks for a surrendered people and a humble people because that's what he did with Paul, one of the greatest warriors of the faith, a ball head and a crooked nose and crooked thighs and handsome legs. 
That's who he looks for. That's how God moves. We also see in here that it says brothers, and before you write it off as, oh, well, that's only men. It's actually not only men. <laughs> brothers in the Greek can mean brothers and sisters. And if we look in context, it can mean siblings in a family, or depending on the context, can actually mean men and women in the family of God, a.k.a. the church. We're all brothers. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. God has given different roles to different genders, but we are all equal. And Paul is addressing all people in this when he says, and all the brothers who are with me, all the church who is with me. Verse 3, this I love. To the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that every single letter Paul penned, except for First and Second Timothy, which he just added a word, he opens with grace to you and peace. Every letter. First and Second Timothy, he actually adds mercy. Grace to you, mercy and peace. Which I want to say this, and then I'm going to go into it a little bit. Did you know that you cannot have peace without first receiving grace? It's the reason, I think, that Paul puts it in that order very specifically. Because Paul knows that unless we have received grace, we will never have peace. Peace comes through the grace of God. Satan cannot counter peace, and he also cannot steal it. Grace to you and peace. When Paul is talking about grace, there's really two main ideas here, if we look at it in the Greek. And it's one is that of sheer beauty. The Greek word keres means grace in a theological sense, but it always comes along with the context of beauty and charm as well. See, in the Christian life, grace has in it is a lovely Thing. The goodness of grace is seen in the sheer beauty of what it is. It's not just this theological term. It's God has given us grace, and there is sheer beauty in that because we did not deserve it. And we could not earn it. It also means undeserved generosity. A gift that was never deserved and could never be earned given in the generous, overwhelming love of God. That's grace. Something you did not earn, I did not earn, we cannot earn it. And then he talks about peace, which is really this, a harmony or a state of well-being. Basically, it's this, this sense of the goodness, the loving care of God that overwhelms your soul, that whatever is going on, whatever the struggle, whatever the trial, whatever the pain, whatever the rejection, whatever is going on in your marriage, whatever is going on in your family, that the enemy can try to steal your joy, but you can have peace. The sense that God is good, that God is faithful, and you can make it through it all. See, I think it's very intentional, the order that Paul opens every letter with. And actually, he ends Galatians with it. The last verse in Galatians, if you look, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Grace is so beautiful. It's so undeserving. 
and we don't get it. We don't understand it because our culture is built around gaining favor and doing things to earn your spouse's love or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever it is or the favor of your boss. You do better at work and you get a higher paycheck or you do better at work and maybe you'll get that promotion and that raise. And it's not like that in God's economy. You can't do anything to get promoted in the kingdom of heaven. All you can do is accept the free gift that God has given you, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. Why? So that no one can boast. It's the message of the gospel. This idea of grace. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul explains how we receive grace because Christ gave of himself. That's grace. See, he gave. He did not need to. He chose to. I recently had a birthday, which is probably why you're seeing more gray hairs on my head. And... Some people gave me gifts. They did not need to give me gifts. They chose to give me gifts because they desired to. They wanted to. They wanted to extend just this idea, man, Luke, I love you, and I just want to give you a gift. That's what God has done to us. We didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve any birthday gift I got. Not one of them, because then it's not a gift. But Jesus gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age. I don't think we really get it. That each person in this room, by our very nature, was so far from God. And he did not need to do a single thing about it. But he could not stand to be apart from his people. So he did the only thing he knew how to lay his own son on the altar, on the cross, to give us life so that we might live unshackled. Like, I really don't think we really understand the weight of that or get it. Because if we did, our lives would look way different. I know mine would. There is so much beauty in this statement. You could spend two months on this, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us or remove us from this present evil age. You don't have to look around to know that this world is falling apart, but this is not our home. God has come to remove us from that and give us what only he can give, eternal life. But you have to accept his free gift of grace and mercy. You have to believe that when he hung on the cross, it counted for you. There's not a single person in this room that is too far gone. There's not a single person in this room who's done too many evil things that the grace of God cannot be lavishly bestowed upon you if you will just believe. It's the message of the gospel. So here's the deal. If we're going to live an unshackled life, we have to fully understand the message of the gospel. If we don't, we will never live unshackled. We will live bound to a wall with shackles around our wrists and our ankles and our thighs and our mouth and all of it. And we'll just be bound up and living in prison if we really don't understand the message of the gospel. And Paul knew this, which is why he opened his letter this way to counter all the false teachers were, that were saying it's Jesus and, it's works and. Paul's saying, uh-uh, that brings bondage. See, God takes us from where we are dead 
and gives us what we did not deserve, life, giving himself for our sins. And Dawn, we're about to hit the lights wherever you are so that we might live unshackled. I want you guys to watch this little five-minute clip, and then I'll be right back. Um, met Colin when I was in the third grade, about 2005. Um, the Lord saved me. I noticed that he was changing. Things had changed in his life. He no longer wanted to hang out on the weekends and party. Me and my brother made fun of him. Other guys that we all used to hang with, we were making fun of him, saying, well, look, you know, he's going to church now, and he doesn't want to hang with us anymore. I would still try to um, reach out to them and spend time with them, um, but I think they kind of just were more interested in um, the lifestyle that they were living. About that time is really when, um, you know, I just started smoking weed and um, I started drinking really heavy. Eventually, um, I was on probation uh, for a drug charge and I ended up violating that probation. I didn't go to court. So they set a warrant out for my arrest. His brother called me and asked if I was uh, willing to come and talk to Colin because he said Colin had um, been having a, a tough time and that things weren't, weren't too good with him, um, that he had been in some legal trouble. He had been involved with drugs, and, and he had just been going through, through some rough times. So I agreed to go. I was um, honestly a, a little nervous, just kind of worried about this, the time that had passed where I hadn't seen him, that he wouldn't be interested in what I had to say. A part of me really didn't even want to talk to him. Didn't even want him to see me in the state that I was in. I, I took him outside, told him that I loved him, uh, told him that Jesus loved him, told him that I was here for him. Um, we both kind of got a little emotional. I just, I, I think he could sense that he was in a, a bad place as well. And the next day I got a phone call from his brother that said that he had, he had been arrested and that the bounty hunters did come and, and um, they locked him up. So during my time while I was in prison, my mom came and visited me. She's crying. And I'm like, mom, what's wrong? And she uh, takes her a while to answer me. And she says, it's Carol. And, I, and that's my wife's name. And she said, uh, she had a drug overdose, and she's dead. She killed herself. Uh, I started crying, and I just started asking God, why, why are you doing these terrible things to me? What, what have I done that you would take my wife from me, that you would put me in prison? I got together a care package, if you will, with a Bible and, a, and I think another CD and a book. I said that when he gets out, I'll, I'll be waiting for him. A year later, he gets out and um, he calls me and he says that he'd like to, to see me and he'd like to spend some time with me. So I, I invited him to the Bible study and said, I'd love to have you come over to a Bible study that I do every Monday. And I said, no pressure, you know, feel free to call me, I'll come pick you up. So he did, he called. We began to have conversations about uh, God and about, about sin. And I remember uh, 
sharing the gospel with him and he said to me, you know, he didn't feel like Christ could, that Christ could die for his sins. He said, you don't know the life that I've lived. You don't know what I've done. But Joan reassured me, he's like, no, he died for your sins, past, present, and future. It's like at that moment, um, God used what Joan was saying to me at that time to really just remove the scales from my eyes and just allow me to really see his grace in Christ. I just asked Joan, I said, I don't want to go back to living the life I was living then. I don't want to. I really don't want to go back to living that life. What do I have to do? Joan said, you don't have to do anything but trust in Christ. Believe that Jesus has died, has died for your sins. And once you believe that, man, and you trust in Jesus, man, you can have eternal life. I, th I thank God that he placed Julian in my life in that time to share the gospel with me. Now I'm going out and I'm telling people about Jesus. And I'm telling people about the good news of Christ because of what he's done in my life. And that I know that there is power in the gospel, power in the gospel to save. My name is Colin and I'm a Christian today because somebody brought the gospel to me. Be unashamed. Dang. See, the power of the gospel is not in Colin measuring up. Colin was shackled, not just spiritually, but physically. He was in prison. He needed someone to share with him that it has nothing to do with what you can do, Colin. Did you hear what he said? What really hit him was the grace of God. When Julian told him, there's nothing you can do. You can't earn salvation. You can't measure up. You can't change your past. You can do none of it. You have to accept that the grace of God is sufficient. That the grace of God is able to restore and redeem. And until we get that, we can't understand the message of the gospel. It was when Julian explained that Christ died for all sins, past, present, and future. And not only could he forgive Colin, but he would forgive him if he would just surrender and believe. There is nothing greater. He didn't have to be perfect. He didn't have to measure up. He just had to trust one thing, that Christ was sufficient. I want to say this this morning. I don't know where you're at in your marriage or your family or your struggles or your pain. But life is too short to hold on to grudges. Life is too short not to extend grace to your spouse. Life is too short not to extend grace to your family member. Why? Because that is the message of the gospel. That's what changed Colin's life when, we, when he understood fully what grace was, that he did not deserve it, that he did not earn it, that he could not measure up. And when he received grace, what did he get? Peace. His old life was gone. He, I mean, because of his sin, his own wife passed away. He couldn't change that. All he could change 
was what God was calling him to do. I don't know where you're at in this room, but if you're holding grudges and your marriage is in shambles and things are going on, if you will not extend grace to your spouse in their struggle or their family member or your coworker or whatever it is, you are not living within the fullness of the gospel. We have to extend grace because we have received it. Think of it this way. If God looked upon you the way that you're treating your spouse, would it be attractive? I think about it in my own life. Man, I don't deserve grace. There's times that I get fired up at my wife and I say things that I shouldn't say. And I have to remember, man, babe, I'm sorry. And the only thing that gets me grounded again is remembering the grace that has been given to me. If we don't have grace, we don't have anything. And if you don't have grace, you don't have peace. The message of the gospel, as Paul has said, is grace. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. I was on a construction site this week, and I walked up, and there was about six masons, concrete people, working on this foundation. And I'm walking around, I said hi to a couple of them, and looking at them, and talking with them, and later on that afternoon, I get a call from the lady who manages the subdivision, she said, hey, did you hear about the accident up on the hill? I said, no, what are you talking about? She said, well, it was happening on the lot that you were on. I said, I have no idea, let me call the concrete guy. So I call him, and he's like, yeah, something happened. It didn't happen up there, but it happened on the way down. He said, I don't really know what happened, but one of my workers, there's two brothers, they've worked with me for about five years, and um, he was kind of high-functioning autistic, decided to jump out of the car. He said, I don't know, he's in the hospital, um, I'll keep you posted. About 20 minutes later, I find out that he's being rushed into brain surgery. He has a brain bleed. And I get a text an hour later that he's no longer with us. And it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I literally probably just looked that guy in the face. I don't know if he knew Christ or not. I don't know what he was carrying into that. I don't know what the undermining issues were. I don't know if he felt like he was unlovable, undeserving. I have no idea his spiritual state, but I know one thing. God pinned me in the chest and said, hey, Luke, you need to be more intentional with your sphere of influence because you never know when their last breath is gone. Because I get so busy with life and doing ministry and doing things that I neglect to see the very people that God has placed right in front of my eyes, the very people that he has extended grace to, and I just look on past. I'm not going to use his name, but I will say it was Blaine. It was not, but for the sake of this. I just know one thing, that I don't know what his story was, but God's grace was sufficient for him, and I don't know if he ever responded or not. But there is no one too far gone. There is no marriage that is beyond being healed. There is no family member that has walked away too far. There is none of it. Yes, there is deep pain. There is deep 
hurt, but I want you to hear this. The gospel is centered and grounded upon grace. And we are to give that which we have received because we have received so much greater than we could ever explain. And if we miss that, we've missed the entire message of the gospel. The message of grace is so beautiful. Who are the people in your spheres, in your circles, in your places? Who is your one? What is your next faithful step? Who are the people that you're going to pour into? Because I promise you this, you never know when their last breath is gone. We are to be heralds of grace and mercy because that is what God has done for us. Colin was saved when he realized that God's grace counted for him, that he didn't, God didn't hold grudges upon his past. He said, just come to me, Colin. I'm pursuing you. I love you. Just respond to me. Believe in faith that I am who I said I am, that when I died on the cross, it counted for you, that you can be set free. And Colin believed it and was saved in a moment. And it was nothing that he did. It was nothing that he earned. It was the thing, the one thing that he accepted. See, this whole Christian thing, this whole church thing is not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus plus being a good person. It's not Jesus plus all the things I need to do for him. It's not even God can't save someone like me and God can't save my marriage. It's not true. But if we bow up and if we become proud and we become defensive and we don't, be these people of grace because we don't really fully understand the grace that has been lavished upon us, the enemy has won. Oh, that we would be a people of grace, that we would give that which we have received and watch as it radically transforms the world around us. Because once we receive grace, then we also receive peace. See, this was going to be Paul's argument for the remainder of this letter. Jesus has come to set you free. That's his argument. And you cannot have peace until you've received grace if the band wants to come up. I pray that through this series that we would see one thing. That God has not come to leave us shackled and bound to our past, to the things we regret, to the current struggles in our marriage and our family. He does not. That is not him. He has come to set us free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But hear this. Grace is not cheap. It's not cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. Any gift costs someone something. Every person that bought me a birthday gift, it costs them something. But they gave it to me because they loved me. And sometimes we think grace, the grace of God is just this cheap gift. It's not cheap. It cost God his one and only son. It's not cheap. It's free. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. But it's not cheap. And we have cheapened it by saying, oh, well, I can just live my old life because Christ has forgiven that, and I'm just going to walk in my sin, and I'm not going to be a person of grace, and I'm not going to be humble, and I'm not going to come before him because he's just paid for it all. Yes, he has paid for it, but if we don't turn from our sin and turn to Christ, you cannot be saved. 
Sin is what hung Jesus on a cross. That's not cheap. It's very weighty. It's very expensive. There's not an amount of money that could pay that. But I promise you this. If you will accept this free gift of grace and mercy, if you will say, God, I'm no longer that person, I'm going to turn from my sin, I'm going to turn to Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, trust me in this, he will give you a peace that begins to well up inside of your soul that you cannot explain. I have a friend that I just talked to the other night, he called me, deeply hurting, his wife was accusing him falsely of all this abuse charges. He was thrown in jail. She's been wanting to have another kid with him, which he wanted. And the night that she tells him that she's pregnant, she basically says, I want nothing to do with you. You can't come to the ultrasound. You can't do anything. You can't even be in my presence. I'm going to take everything, the house, the car, the family. I'm taking it all. He said, I don't know, she might be with another man. I don't know. But I'm telling you this, I talked to him for an hour and a half, and I was astounded. He kept saying, I love my wife, I want this restored, I'm going to keep pursuing her, even when she is awful, even when she is punching me in the gut and trying to take everything, because I can't help it. I know what God has done for me, so how can I not lavishly continue to pursue her and put that to her? He said, I don't even know if my marriage is going to make it. I don't even know if I'm ever going to get to see this kid. But I know one thing, God is good and he's with me in the storm. That is peace. And I'm telling you, if you're in this room and you have not received grace, you cannot have that kind of peace. It's impossible. Because peace only comes accompanied with grace. And grace only is accepted and received when you accept it, when you say, God, I know Jesus. When you hung on the cross, that counted for me. There's no sin great enough. There's no sin strong enough. I am going to live unshackled because that is why you have come, that I would not live in bondage and live in the back of my cell and beat my head against the concrete. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full, would you receive my grace so that you can have my peace? And whenever the world comes at you and your spouse comes at you and the world is falling apart, you can say, it is well with my soul. That is peace. So here's the question as we wrap up. Have you accepted this free gift, not cheap gift, this free gift of grace and mercy? It can happen in a moment. It doesn't mean life gets easier when you walk out of this doors. It'll probably get harder. But you can have a peace in the storm. You can have a peace in the struggle. And you can know that even when the world is falling apart, I have a God that sees me, that knows me, that loves me, that is walking with me in the valley in the deepest heartache of my life. That's the gospel. That's what it means to live unshackled. Throw the chains away. Throw the jail cell away. Throw the cell. Throw it all. Throw it away. Don't try to measure up. You can't do it. Don't try to earn it. You can't do it. Respond to grace. Respond to mercy. And let God do something incredible in your midst. That's what Paul's saying. Oh, church, would you live unshackled? 
God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And God, I know there's someone in this room that is hurting. I know there's someone in this room who maybe is feeling rejected or maybe just has this deep pain, God. Maybe they've lost a loved one. God, maybe they just don't understand. Maybe they're just checking you out, God. And I pray right now by the power of your spirit that you would do what my words cannot, that you would gently and tenderly come alongside them and whisper in their ear, I see you, my son or my daughter. I'm coming after you. I see your pain. I feel your struggle. Would you just respond because I have come to set you free? God, I love that you are a close God, a relational God, a personal God, and a loving God. Do something in this room that my words cannot. Intercede on the behalf of your people, God, and remind them that you fight for them, that you're there for them in every battle, in every struggle, in every storm. And would we realize, would we really understand the weight of the grace that you have extended to us and that we would give that which we have received. God, we love you. Do a deep, incredible work in this place because you are worthy of it all. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.